pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Hey, if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, I am Aaron Scholl. I'm one of the elders. I get the opportunity to preach this morning. Pastor Ben is taking Reese to college, so life changes. Life goes quick. God says it is but a vapor. So this morning, that's why Pastor Ben's away. So if you're visiting with us, I am the third string quarterback of Gospel Community Church. And I did play college football, but if you know anything about being the third string quarterback, you're essentially tasked with one, two things predominantly. One is don't mess anything up. And the second is don't be boring. Don't be boring. So this morning I was, we're going to reflect on the faithfulness of God. And if you've looked at the lives of missionaries or pastors over the years who have remained faithful faithful to the word of God, Charles Spurgeon is an incredible man of God. And he said this about boring preachers, and I came across it this week. He said, if some men were sentenced to hear their own sermons, it would be a righteous judgment upon them, and they would soon cry out with Cain, my punishment is far greater than I can bear. So may that not be true of me this morning. So as you turn to Psalm 132, we are going to look at the faithfulness of God. God is truly faithful. And there's nothing to me more encouraging than looking at God's word in time of need to see God's faithfulness. But another place of encouragement are those who have gone before us that have walked in faithfulness. I mentioned Charles Spurgeon. I mentioned Charles Simeon. Charles Simeon was a preacher in the 1700s. The church just took a group of men to the Charles Simeon Trust. It's a preaching conference on equipping pastors to preach the word of God through exposition. It's an incredible conference. And you would think that having a conference named after you in the 21st century, that when you had pastored, you were the guy. But oh, to the contrary, when Charles Simeon was candidating to take the pastorate of his church, the congregants did not want Simeon. In fact, they didn't want Simeon so badly that in those days, you had to pay for your pew. So in England, you would actually purchase the pew that you would sit in. And he had congregants of the church purchase their pew and then specifically not show up. He preached faithfully with empty church building. Now, there were others that gathered at the doors. They would gather at the aisles. They would fill. But his church family did not want Charles Simeon. And you would think that that would drive Amanda away. But what you saw was an enduring faithfulness to the word of God. That despite that opposition, he stayed centered on the word of God and he remained faithful and went on to pastor for over 50 years. Stories like this grow our faith. They encourage us. They help us. 
but so do stories of betrayal or loss of faith or faithlessness. And all of us in our life have a story where someone did not keep their promise to us. They did not keep their vow to us. They forsook us. They left us. They abandoned us. Some of us have some very difficult stories of a lack of faithfulness by someone. But there is one who always keeps his promise. There is one who always keeps his word. There is one who will never leave you. He will never forsake you. I will be with you always to the end of the age. And of course, that is Jesus Christ, the rock on which we stand. So this morning, if you walk away with one thing, it's this. God is always faithful. Turn with me to Psalm 132 if you're not there yet. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jair. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. God, this morning we come to you and we know that we lack the ability to stay faithful. We know just like David that we may desire it, we may yearn for it, it may be something that we wake up with and and, and this morning we're going to stay faithful and then we realize, God, that we cannot stay faithful apart from you. That you and you alone are the only one who's been faithful. God, I pray for those this morning who have been betrayed, that have had someone not keep their promise, that have been someone who has broken a promise. Lord, that your mercies will be new every morning. Thank you, Jesus, that you paid it all for us. And so now, God, as we look at what your word has for us, may we see your faithfulness and may we be encouraged. By the power of Jesus, amen.
Three things this morning I want you to see from Psalm 132. Number one, we can see God's faithfulness in answered prayers. Number two, we can see God's faithfulness even when our plan may not be his plan for us. And number three, we can see God's faithfulness in his promise keeping. If you look at the text, Psalm 132, you may not have noticed it, but it's a prayer in verse 1. In verses 2 through 9, it's David's vow to the Lord to build the temple. And then in verse 10, it's another prayer. And then it's the Lord's vow to David to do something so much bigger. So we have prayer, promise, prayer, promise. And yet if you understood and could feel the tone of the text, it's a tone of jubilee. We are in the Psalms of Ascent. Psalms 120 through 134 are the Psalms of Ascent in a book called the Psalms, which is the largest book in the Bible by chapter. And these were songs that were sung by the Israelites as they went on their way to Zion or Jerusalem to the Holy City. And they'd have to do this multiple times throughout the year. But as they're going, you can sense this anticipation, right? There's an eagerness to this. The, the attitude of this is one of thanksgiving. This is not the attitude when you tell one of your kids that they need to go grab the trash can that's at the end of the driveway and you watch them go out there and they're kicking the stones on your driveway. That's not the, that's not the Israelites this morning. They're, they're coming with an anticipation of being in the dwelling place of God. They want to be in the presence of their Lord. That is the tone of this text. Now, the context of the text is found in 2 Samuel chapter 7. I'm going to have you turn there because this will lay out Psalm 132 better than anything that I could do. So if you turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7, I'm just going to read, and Ben read a little bit of this last week, the end of it. But 2 Samuel 7 says this, Now when the king, this is David, lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all of his surrounding enemies... Right, David had just conquered everyone. And he says repeatedly, David became greater and greater for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. It was nothing that David did. The God, was, God was upon David. So God had given him rest from all the enemies. The king says to Nathan the prophet, David says, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, and he said, Go tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all the places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest 
from all of your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will never depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. That is the background of Psalm 132. God had a different plan for David. David said, Lord, I want to build you an earthly kingdom. You've given me all of this. I dwell in a palace. You dwell in a tent. I want to build something great for you. I want to do something great for you, Lord. You see, God was doing something so much greater, right? For us, now, on the other side of Christ, we realize that we now are the temple of God. That while David wanted to build an earthly temple, and they wanted an earthly king, God wanted a forever temple with a forever king. You see, Jesus is the greater king. Jesus is the one David speaks of. Jesus is the one that God speaks of and says he is coming for you. That is the background of Psalm 132. And I wonder this morning, as we look at and think from verse 1, remember, O Lord, in David's favor. And in verse 10, for the sake of your servant David. Right? Why, do they, why do they say remember? We know God is God. God doesn't forget. It's like they're reminding God, God, don't, don't, don't forget us. Don't, you have to remember us. God doesn't forget. And I think it's similar to us. If you've joined us on any of the prayer times or praying through scripture, we'll say, Lord, your word says. Right? Many times when we're in a position of wanting to stay faithful to God, we say, Lord, your word says that you will never leave me or forsake me. Be with me right now. Or Lord, you say that you want all to come to repentance and faith. Lord, I pray for this person. Would you open their eyes? That's what, the, that's what they're doing here. They're saying, Lord, remember to stay faithful to your word. Lord, your word says this. May we be reminded of it. I think one of the greatest illustrations from an earthly perspective is by a man named George Mueller. And if you can't tell, I love faithful saints throughout history. I love the Spurgeons. I love the Simeons. I love the Hudson Taylors. I love the men of God who have stood firm on the foundation of Jesus Christ for decades. Now, George Mueller was also a pastor in the 1800s in England. And you, you, you may have heard of George Mueller because he was very, very called to the orphans of England. 
And at the time in the Industrial Revolution, there were countless orphans occupying the city of London. And George Mueller began an orphan house. And over his lifetime, they estimate that he would have cared for around 10,000 orphans. Probably more, but over 10,000 orphans. And what's interesting about George Mueller is he never, what made him unique, was he never asked for money. Now, we need money to run operations, correct? Can you house and care for 10,000 orphans with no resources? No, of course not. But what George Mueller was relying on was the faithfulness of God to stay true to his word. And he said this <clears throat> on why he started the orphan house. He said, it seemed to me something which, with the Lord's blessing, might be instrumental in strengthening the faith of the children of God, besides being a testimony to the consciences of the unconverted, of the reality of the things of God. This then was the primary reason for establishing the orphan house. The first and primary object of establishing the work was and still is that God might be magnified by the fact that the orphans under my care are provided with all they need only by prayer and faith without anyone being asked by me or my fellow laborers, whereby it may be seen that God is faithful still and hears prayers still. You hear that last sentence? That God is faithful still and hears prayers still. And that is true this morning. Right? When was the last time that you prayed to God with eager anticipation knowing that he would answer that prayer? that you were praying according to his word, and if you pray according to anything in God's word, that he hears you, he listens to you, and he does. He will not. He will always stay faithful to his word. So here we see that God stays. He remembers David. He doesn't turn his face from David. God hears his prayers. You know, one of the things that has helped me over the years to remember and reflect on the faithfulness of God is to keep a prayer journal. If you have a prayer journal, you can look back and see the faithfulness of God. Because we're just like the Israelites. God may have just led you out of the Red Sea, led you through the Red Sea, and a month later, you're looking around thinking, God, where are you right now? I'm the same way. God may have physically sent manna from heaven and fed you and nourished you. <clears throat> and a month later, you're wondering to yourself, God, are you real? Are you trustworthy? Are you faithful? Writing down the answered prayers from God is a powerful testimony to his faithfulness. You can reflect, you look back, and you know that God was faithful. In the midst of those answered prayers, you can look back at the faithfulness of God and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God was faithful to David. Second, <clears throat> we see God's faithfulness even when our plan may not be his plan for us. 
We see God's faithfulness even when our plan may not be his plan for us. Verses 2 through 9. David swears to the Lord, vows to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the one of Jacob. This isn't a casual promise, right? This is not David saying, if I get around to this, I'll probably do something for you because you've done so much for me. This is an untiring devotion saying, hey, I'm not going to sleep until this actually takes place. I want this so bad. Lord, you have done so much for me. I know that you have done so much for me. What is it that I can do for you? How can I serve you with my life? David feels called by God, right? He even, Nathan even talks to him and says, yes. And then Nathan says, no. God, God says, no. That's not, what we'll, that's not what God has for you. David says, this, but this, I, I feel called by God to do this. I promised. I'm making a vow. I don't want to break this vow. I want to do this for you, Lord. Isn't the same true of us this morning? That this morning, we could come here at church and say, I'm doing this for you, God. Why is my life falling apart? I, I, I got into this relationship. I thought you led me into this relationship for you. I, I, I thought you were at the center of this relationship. Now I look around and, and where are you in the midst of this? It seems like you've forgotten me. Or God, you led me to take this job. I felt led by you to take this job. Now you're telling me no? Or I was, I was following this health plan. I was on this health plan and now I'm sick? I'm ill? I can't get better? God, you told me to bring my kids up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And now they're far from you. Where are you in this, God? I got married, taking a vow before God, and now I'm divorced. I'm no longer with you, my spouse. They've left me. Where are you, God? Where are you, Lord, in this? God, we want to have children. Children are a gift from the Lord. We felt led by you to have a child, and now we cannot get pregnant. There's countless examples. All of us have an example of something where, in earnest, we set out with the Lord's leading, and God has said, that, that's not my plan for you. That is not the plan that I have for you. But the beauty of God's plan is it's so much greater. God's plan is so much greater that it is not finished yet. The plan is so much greater. And maybe this morning, just as the text says, you feel the hardships or you are afflicted 
Other translations say the afflictions of David. Now, to be clear, the afflictions that the Bible's referring to here is, is David's longing to build the temple for God in the holy city. So, some have said it might even be him feeling afflicted by the persecutions of Saul, right? He was running for his life leading up to this point. So he would have had good reason, they would have had good reason to say, hey, remember these afflictions as well, these hardships. But the greatest affliction, as far as the text is concerned, is David's desire to bring the ark to Jerusalem and build a holy temple for God. And God's saying, it won't be you, you're a man of blood. You're a man of bloodshed. But, but, after you will come one who will reign forever. But this morning, is God still faithful? Is God still trustworthy? Can I trust God in the midst of my circumstances right now, which seem like such an incredible hardship? Lamentations 3, 22 through 23 is a promise from God. It says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's mercies are new every morning. God is still faithful today. I hope this will be a short example for you, but when Jessica and I first got married, we had kids, I've mentioned we had six kids, just rapid fire, five of them biologically, just boom, 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 boom. The Lord was gracious to us, and we multiplied greatly. <clears throat> and it was really fun in the process, right? So we found ourselves with too small of a house for the number of children that we had. And it just so happened our neighbor's house went up for sale literally right across the road, and Jessica said to me, I want to go take a look at that house. And I thought, I don't go look at things that I don't intend to buy. Like, why would we go look at a house that we have no intention of purchasing? Because she had assured me, we're not going to buy it. I just want to go look at it. <laughs> Who does that, right? Nobody goes, like, I'm going to go test drive vehicles this afternoon. I have no intention of buying. I just like to ride around the countryside. No, of course. Do you think like, eh? So we go, of course, we take a tour through the house. And she's like, I love it. It's exactly what we've been looking for. I haven't been looking for anything. What do, what do you mean? This is exactly what you've been looking for. So we move over there. And in the midst of this, it's 2008. And if you know anything about the housing market in 2008, I could have walked away from our existing house and taken an enormous financial bath. So I thought, not a great idea. Why don't we just rent that house out? It'll work out perfectly. I feel like the Lord is in this. He led someone to us who was completely tattooed, had tons of earrings, reminded me of my brother and a close friend that I had, and I thought, truly, this is of God. The guy told me everything I wanted to hear. We ran a background check on him, which ended up being a faulty background check, and we found ourselves about two months in realizing we actually just rented out our house across the street to a convicted convict, like a felon. We had no idea. The guy who was helping me do it, who ran the background check, comes to me and says, hey, I really apologize, but that background check company that I use, it doesn't work. I thought, well, this is just fantastic. So I run a real background check, find a rap sheet about this long, 
And then I had the decision, do I let Jessica know about this or not? Of course I do. So I show her and she's like, we need to get him out of there. I thought, I thought you were leading us. I thought, I thought this was, I thought this made sense. I thought we had given him baby clothes. We were witnessing to them. We, we truly tried to be the aroma of Christ and to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. I knew we had a problem when they changed the outdoor lighting and Jessica had a major fit. She's like, what are they doing with the outdoor lighting? I'm like, honey, it's, it's not our house anymore. Like, they can change some of the lighting. Say, like, well, it looks terrible. I'm like, that's their decision. I don't, I mean, I'm not going to fight you about the outdoor lighting. They need to go. Like, well, that's great, but until they breach a contract, you really can't just go over there and say, hey, sorry, I don't like you anymore. You're kind of a problem, I hear. You gotta leave. No, that's not what happens. In fact, the guy had said, hey, I want to turn my life around. I want to change. I want to do things differently. We, we sincerely felt like God is in the midst of this. Like, I'm going to give this guy a chance. Jesus is very long-suffering. Jesus loves the least of these. Let's love this guy. Fast forward two and a half years, we actually had to, he had to leave. He, he got evicted. He did. He got um, arrested for drugs and guns and an assortment of other things. And he goes to prison. And I can remember vividly God at my office telling me, the story with him's not over yet. It's not over yet. I want you to write him a letter. Now, this was my first ever letter to a convict, so I don't even know how to begin this thing. I'm writing this letter, and I essentially say, hey, you've hit rock bottom. You have hit bottom, I presume. There's only one place to look, and that's up. And that person is Jesus Christ, who I've been telling you about. You may be totally incarcerated, totally locked up, but you could be completely free. Talk to somebody who goes and does jail ministry. They talk to him, and it's like, no, he's, he has a hard heart. That's what he came back and said. So I was, I was really discouraged. I thought, I've got a hard heart. How do you have a hard heart? Like, hmm. Two months goes by. I feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit. God says, you, reach out to him again. Don't stop. Don't stop. Write him another letter. I get one back this time. He says, hey, I just want you to know I got your letter, and I've surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. Um, I'm, I'm completely blown away, and if you know my personality, I am completely skeptical, right? Mike, yeah, right. Through a series of conversations, letters, it wasn't John 3.16 that we were getting anymore. He was reading and saturated in the Word of God. God changed his life. God used a situation and a circumstance where at the time it seemed completely and utterly hopeless. I felt the leading of God and God said, nope, that's not what's going to happen. God had a much greater plan. In the midst of that and staying faithful, God had a much larger plan. Third point, we see God's faithfulness in his promise keeping. So where's the promise? It says in verse 11, the Lord swore to Jacob or to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back one of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. 
If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. That is the promise that God gives. We think today, we say, well, how was that fulfilled? Some of us have been to Jerusalem, and I don't see a king set on the throne over there. Right? In fact, a couple generations later, the kingdom actually divides with David's grandsons. And, and did his sons keep the covenant? Do you know anything about the uh, genealogy of David? It looks worse than my genealogy. I mean, it's incredible. Were they faithful to God's testimonies? To the covenant? No. As human beings, we are not faithful. You put your faith in one person, it's only one person, one person alone. That's Jesus Christ. We strive for faithfulness, but we know in our sinful condition, there's only one who has stayed faithful forever. This is a big promise from God. Right? God swears to David. Now, did God need to swear to David? Did he need to give a vow? Right? God, God's word is God's word. It's, it's true. It's authoritative. It comes to pass. Nothing can stand against God's word. It's, it's not like us. Right? I mentioned we have six children, so th this type of conversation refrain will happen often. It's, hey, Dad, next weekend, can we have a sleepover? And as a parent, I'm like, I've learned in wisdom, you never say yes. You say maybe. <laughs> we will see. Those are almost word for word. Maybe we will see. Because what you mean is, as a parent, there's probably less than a 50% chance that you're spending the night over there next weekend. That's what I mean as a parent. What my son or daughter hears is, upon penalty of death, and before God and these witnesses, dad has vowed that we are having a sleepover next weekend. <laughs> and so the next weekend comes, and they say what? You promised. You promised. And I say, no, I did not promise. I said, maybe. That is not the promise that we see here. This is God saying, I vow, I swear, this is trustworthy and true. I did this, and I am doing this. The text says, I have chosen Zion. I have chosen Israel. I have desired it. It says, I have desired it twice. Ephesians says that he does all things, right, in accordance with his will. God desired Israel. There's nothing majestic about Israel. There's nothing majestic about us. It was God's desire that you would have been called to faith and repentance. He desired it, and whatever God desires will come to pass. God doesn't change his mind. God doesn't think, oh, well, I didn't plan for that. I didn't see it going that direction. I had no idea that David's grandsons would be such hellions. That, that's a complete shocker to me. 
God was faithful to his vow to David even when they were not faithful to him. This morning, you are to remain faithful to God even if that person was not faithful to you. You are to remain faithful to Jesus even if that circumstance right now and that hardship and that affliction seems insurmountable. Like God has forgotten you. You see, when God says he, there will be a forever king that sits on your throne, he's pointing straight to Jesus Christ from the line of David. And he's fulfilling the promise that he made from the very beginning. This book is the fulfillment of God's promise to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. You say, how so? You remember in college or in high school when you had to read a book and that book was really big and you thought, there is no way I could read that entire book. What'd you do? You got cliff notes, right? You got the cliff notes to it and you would read the cliff notes. Another strategy that you might have had for some of you that have never read a full book, another strategy was I'm going to read the front and I'll read the back and then I'll have a gist of it where I, at least it'll look like I don't know what I'm not talking about, what I'm talking about. Genesis 3 says the beginning promise that God made said the woman shall bear a son. You shall bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary crushed the head of Satan. He came the first time as a lamb to lay his life down, fulfilling the prophecies and all of the Old Testament. Jesus himself says, I am the fulfillment of everything the prophet said and everything that the law of Moses was written of is fulfilled in me. I am that fulfillment. I come down, I lay my life down willingly. And the people of Israel were waiting for this forever king. When is he coming? When is this forever king coming to establish his kingdom and his throne forever in Zion? When? And they waited centuries. And then Jesus Christ was born, fulfilling more prophecy, and comes and sacrifices himself as a lamb, lays his life down for sinners like you and sinners like me. He came and fulfilled the promise to come and crush the head of Satan. But he came gently. The first time he came as a lamb. The next time, the end of the book, Revelation, starts with Genesis, ends with Revelation. Jesus says this, and this is a promise. I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone of what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus Christ will come again. He has promised to come again. But when he comes again, he comes as a lion. He doesn't come as a sacrificial lamb. He says, I am coming again, but I am bringing my recompense with me. I am bringing a holy, righteous judgment upon the earth. The first time I came, I fulfilled the promise to lay my life down for mankind. 
that whoever would believe in me would not perish but would have eternal life. The second time I come, I fulfill the promise that one day all things will be restored. I will wipe away every tear. There will be no more crying. There will be no more blood. There will be no more sin. And those who have not repented of their sin and placed their faith and trust in me will be cast aside forever. Forever. That is the promise that Jesus Christ makes. And this morning, if you are outside of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, I plead with you that God would open your eyes to the truth of his gospel, that he will fulfill his promise, that he will come again. And for the Christian, we have no fear. It's only anticipation. It's only longing to say, come back, Lord, now. Why wait? Why are you waiting? And God's saying, I want all to come to repentance. Repent and believe this morning. Embrace the first promise of Jesus Christ because Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the promises, everything that was spoken. The word says all the promises of God find their yes in him. All of the promises of God. Every promise. You say, well, what promises? What are some promises? These are incredibly encouraging to me, and may they be a balm on your soul. This morning, if you come in with a heavy heart, you're discouraged, you're feeling the absence of God, you're like, Lord, where are you? Where I thought you would remain faithful to me this morning? Listen to these words. God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never leave you or forsake you. That he who began a good work in you will see it to completion. I will never leave you or forsake you. God says, I will be with you always to the end of the age. I am with you. God leads you in paths of righteousness. I will be with you always to the end of the age. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. In your brokenheartedness, God says, I am a God of the brokenhearted. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. That's a promise. Believe this morning in the Lord God. We can trust God. We can trust in the promises of God. We can trust that God will stay faithful to his word. 
So just as these Israelites were ascending to Jerusalem and singing a song of God's faithfulness in a tone of jubilee and excitement, we, like them, don't head for an earthly city with an earthly king and an earthly kingdom. We are on the path to a heavenly city with a greater king, with a forever kingdom. The question that we ask ourselves is, what song am I singing? What song am I singing? Has God taken the words from you where you're in a, you're in a, a moment of despair? Or maybe you are singing the song of Jubilee. Or maybe you're somewhere in, be in between and you're, you're apathetic. And God is saying, see anew my faithfulness. Be refreshed and encouraged by my faithfulness. Embrace Jesus as the greater king in a greater kingdom. What song are we singing this morning? Great is your faithfulness. O oh Lord, unto me. Let's pray. Lord, so many incredible promises that we have in your word. Promises, Lord, that I pray this morning as they go out, your word says that it never returns void, that it always accomplishes its purposes. Lord, may, may there be encouragement this morning found in resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. May we reflect and remember how faithful you were even unto David, Lord, and then how faithful you are to us. That in the midst of what we're going through right now, we know that your plan for us is so much greater than anything that we would have ever imagined. God, I pray that brothers and sisters here this morning would find encouragement with one another and encouragement with your word. I pray that we would leave here with a renewed captivity by just how faithful you've been to us in so many things. You are an incredible God, worthy of all praise and honor, and we are completely and utterly sinful. And yet by the blood of Jesus Christ, you have set us free. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, thank you for the opportunity to preach to you this morning. I hope you were blessed. I hope you were encouraged. God is truly faithful. May you walk in a manner worthy of the gospel this week. Thanks.